Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Compass. Uh, this morning I've titled the sermon Kingdom Anticipated. And so this morning we're going to spend some time thinking about how the kingdom of God affects our lives today. So we're going to be answering some of these questions like, what has God done for us in Christ that we can experience today. So how does this influence us? How does the kingdom of God influence our lives today? Um, we've seen it, we've already had three sermons in this series and we've seen so far in the series that the kingdom of God simply defined is the rule and reign of God. And last week we saw that the fullness of that is still future. Uh, is God's will done on earth as it is in heaven right now? No, it's not, unfortunately. And so when Jesus Christ comes back, that's when the fullness of the kingdom comes, uh, and that's when God's will is done on earth as is in heaven. Uh, we've also talked about three big patterns that we've been seeing throughout the series, and I wanted to go over them again this morning and then talk a little bit about them in light of what we're going to talk about today. So the first one is uh, what God wanted in the beginning, he gets in the end. And we saw that uh, the, the image we have of the garden in Genesis 1 two, and 2 primarily gets reflected in the last two chapters of the Bible in Revelation uh, 21 and 22. So what God wanted in the beginning, he gets in the end. Uh, the second thing we've seen is that God taught throughout time principles of selflessness, sacrifice, and upside-down leadership with the intent for us to follow that example. We saw that a couple weeks ago when we looked at Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3 and saw how uh, Adam and Eve were there to tend the garden and dress and keep it. And we saw how uh, a lot of scholars believe unpacking that means uh, that they were there to be servant kings and servant queens, and that was humanity's role, that God wanted to rule the world through humanity, through us. Uh, but that was not an overbearing type of kingship like we see so often in our modern politics and even throughout history, really. Uh, but this was upside-down servant leadership that God wanted. And then the third one is the greatest desires of our hearts, uh, justice, peace, prosperity. All these things are promised by God, and they're going to be fulfilled in total in the kingdom uh, when Jesus Christ comes back. Uh, and those are all things that the world cannot offer us. The world cannot offer us peace. The world cannot offer perfect justice. It cannot offer us real love. Uh, those things are not available in the world. So uh, if you want to turn with me, you can turn to Matthew 4. Uh, we'll get there eventually. But I want to talk about these principles in light of what we're talking about today. So we know that the fullness of these things is still future. Uh, perfect love, perfect justice, all these things are still future. Uh, but we can think about all three of these principles in our lives today. So again, what did God want in the beginning? He wanted humans to reign in righteousness on a perfect earth. But he also wanted a family who would choose to love him, right? And has, I want to ask a question, has God acted in such a way through Christ to bring us into a familial relationship with him? Yes. And in fact, if you look at the Old Testament, there wasn't much family language used with God and his people. But the moment that the king comes on the scene, right, what happens? He says, my father, our father, and he starts introducing us to God as our father. He introduces us into a family relationship. And so we can experience part of that here today. Uh, the second principle about upside-down leadership. 
Again, we saw Adam and Eve were to be servant leaders in the garden and to reign and to bring forth the best out of the animal and plant kingdom. And we saw that that isn't what happened, and it didn't happen throughout all history. But then Jesus comes on the scene, right? And he exhibits servant leadership. And it's still surprising and shocking, even though that was God's original intent for humanity. But did Jesus say, hey, I can do this. I can be a good servant leader, but I'm not expecting you to be servant leaders. Is that what he said? No, he said, follow my example. He said, follow my example. So did God provide a way for us to be servant leaders also? Yes, he did. We're going to talk about that today. Now, what about the greatest desires of our hearts? Again, we know that perfect justice, totally perfect, pure love, uh, totally perfect, pure peace. All these things are not available till Jesus comes back. But does that prevent us from doing our best to see these things and to live these things in our lives today? Doesn't God provide us a way to love as, as well as we can and to provide justice as well as we can and to provide peace as well as we, we can? He does. Um, I was thinking about that love aspect, and I'm um, very looking forward to a, a sermon that's going to happen in about a month uh, where our brother Jerry is going to talk about kingdom love. And I just imagine sort of the following conversation playing out. So bear with me. Imagine a husband and a wife, and they're talking about the relationship. And the wife says, honey, I really haven't been feeling that much love from you recently. And the husband looks at her intently, and he says, babe, look. I totally sympathize with you, but you know, I've been reflecting on the kingdom of God recently, and I realize that perfect love will not be fully available until Jesus returns. So I've decided to not even try to love you or anyone else because I'm afraid I'm going to do it imperfectly. Now, what do you think the wife should do in response to that? All right, so I think that, that paints the picture pretty well. Just because we can't experience perfect justice now or perfect love now or perfect peace now in its total, all the aspects that God wants us to enjoy from that, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't act in those ways and, and develop in those ways. So before we get to Matthew and before we get into the three points I'm going to talk about today, um, there's a lot of talk in modern Christianity about kingdom now and what that means. And in humility, I'm going to push back on some of those ideas. And again, I say in humility because it is important. I don't believe I know everything. I don't think even all the people here in Compass know everything. Uh, we are part of a larger body of Christ, and I love and respect uh, all the other churches that are doing great work here in Louisville, much less around the entire body of Christ. But I do believe, uh, again, the fullness of the kingdom is future, and so whatever kingdom now aspects or kingdom anticipated senses we can gather from the Bible, I think, um, we should be sure to clarify what it is not. And so I do that with humility here. So there's three things I want to say the kingdom now is not. It's not just an inward power, okay? The power of the Spirit is involved with this. We're going to see that today. But it is not just simply an inward power or an inward condition of the heart. Some people teach that, and I, I think that if you look at the whole of Scripture, that just doesn't bear out. Uh, number two, the kingdom is not the church. It's also not a church. It's not compass. It's not the body of Christ at large. Can you see kingdom themes in and through the church? Yes, but it's not limited to the church. It's ultimately, like I said, an act of God bringing uh, the new Jerusalem down from heaven. 
And then the third point here, the kingdom is not a perfect society on this earth. Uh, some people throughout time have thought that if we can just get like a, a monastery of people together or if we can get just a, you know, a group of people together and like farm and do everything all, all by our own, off, off in there, we can be the kingdom of God. Well, no, they could be a pocket of love and justice or whatever, and they might live some of these principles to a pretty far degree, but it's not going to be the fullness of what God's kingdom is supposed to be. So in light of what it's not, now I'm going to tell you what I think it is. What does kingdom anticipated mean? Uh, if the fullness of the kingdom is Jesus Christ coming back, then what does it look like to see the kingdom now? And I think there are three ways we can view this. And we're going to be talking about these the, basically for the rest of the series. Uh, the first one is the power of the Spirit and what that enables us to accomplish. And I think about this as how we bring some of these kingdom realities to bear in our lives, in our time. Then the second thing is kingdom ethics or how to behave as a follower of Christ. Uh, this is what we do that marks us out as kingdom people, as people through whom God will uh, bless the world. And then the third piece is kingdom citizenship, which is how we relate to the world around us. Uh, it's how we identify in some sense. If we identify as citizens of the kingdom of God, primarily before our earthly citizenship, then how we approach the culture around us, how we approach our you know, American citizenship for those in, our, in the room here, um, or other citizenships, um, that will all be impacted by how we view our kingdom citizenship. And so we want to start with the power of the Spirit. And I'm going to say I'm going to shortchange this today because I'm doing a whole sermon on this next week. We're going to do a sermon on kingdom power. So I'm going to go very fast here. And so if you are like, well, he really didn't say much about kingdom power. Well, that's because I'm leaving it for next week. So please forgive me. We're going to talk about this again very soon. So we're going to talk with the power of the Spirit. Uh, when I started thinking about the kingdom of God in more depth, it was probably about 10 years ago. And I was reading through the Gospels, and one of the things that really confronted me as I read through the Gospels is, you read about the kingdom of God, Jesus preaching the kingdom of God, and then there's all these miracles that happen associated with it. And I thought, that's really strange. It's really interesting. And I kept reading. I kept seeing it over and over and over again. And then you get to the book of Acts, and it's the same way in the book of Acts too. So there's something to this. Uh, let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. This is early in Jesus' ministry. And it says, And he, Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. Uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 9. And again, we're going to sort of rapid fire through these uh, because we're going to spend a lot of time on this next week. But we're just reading here. We're just seeing how the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God and what results from that, the power that's being manifested through that. And in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and what? Healing every disease and every affliction. Uh, let's turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. It wasn't just Jesus that did this. He wasn't the only one that went around proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And he wasn't the only one who went around proclaiming that gospel and seeing the power associated with it. Uh, in Luke chapter 9, 
verse 1, he sends the 12 out and it says, And he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to what? To heal. And so here again, we have the association of the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God and healing and casting out spirits. And I think there's an excellent key here in Luke 9 that he gave power and authority to his disciples. So if you think about the kingdom of God, we said basically the kingdom of God is the reign and rule of God, right? And so Jesus has authority. He is the king. He has that kingdom of God authority, and he's handing some of that to his disciples so that they can do the same work that he is out there doing. And part of that is, um, part of the, the power and the miracles and the things that Jesus did, uh, one aspect of that is to mark him out as the genuine Messiah, to, to demonstrate uh, that the things that were prophesied about him are true and that he is fulfilling those promises. But the second thing we have to think about this power and authority piece and how um, you know, humanity hasn't been under the reign and rule of God. Basically from Genesis 3 all the way until the ministry of Jesus, it's not been, we've not been under the reign and rule of God. And so Satan has had authority and dominion and control. So by Jesus pushing back against the realm of Satan, pushing back against those demonic powers and authorities, what he's saying is God has chosen to decisively act in the course of human history through Jesus. And that is what we see here in these verses. Let's look at one more, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. This was one that really got my attention and gets a lot of people's attention when they study this. Uh, because this phrasing we're going to see here in Matthew 12 is so specific. It's so uh, inextricably tied together, the power and the kingdom. In Matthew uh, 12, we won't read the whole passage, uh, but I'll just skip around to two verses here. Verse 22 is where we start. Then a demon-oppressed man who is blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. So this man had a physical illness, and apparently the cause of that illness was a demon. It was not a physical, uh, there was a spiritual side to it as well. I won't say it was not physical, it was spiritual and physical. Let's skip down to verse 28. There's a lot of debate here about uh, whose power Jesus is using, and uh, this is what Jesus says. He says, verse 28, but he's reproving the people who are pushing back and saying that he's casting out spirits with, with, with the demonic power. He says, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the power of the kingdom, even though it's still future, I mean, God is going to heal all people in the kingdom of God in the future. We saw that last week. Uh, there's going to be no demonic activity in this future kingdom, right? Uh, the devil's going to be taken care of with for once and for all, as the book of Revelation says. So what, we, what Jesus is doing is he's taking that future reality and he's bringing it into the present for this man right here by healing him. So it is a localized version in some sense of the kingdom of God. That is what's happening here. And that's the same thing that happens uh, whenever we have the opportunity to heal someone or to cast out a spirit or something like that. In some sense, those actions are the power of the kingdom of God, or that we could almost say the power of heaven, even though I don't like that language. It is the power of heaven coming to earth. It is that future kingdom reality being expressed in part right here and right now. 
And there are a lot of ways to think about this. We're going to explore a couple different ways. Uh, but I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the kingdom of God or heaven as being an alternate dimension. And not, you know, we tend to think of it as spatially, like we're on earth and heaven is up there, right? But I also think that it's interesting to think of it as a separate dimension that can either overlap with our world or not overlap with our world. And this is something that the Bible Project talks about, so I've sort of stolen some of this from them. I want to give them credit for it. Um, and so when we think about Eden, many people think about Eden as a virgin, uh, version of the temple. And if we think about what a temple is, a temple is the place where God's presence is felt and enjoyed. And so I want to talk a little bit about this real quick here. So you have heaven, and I've colored it heaven purple. That's a regal color, so it's kingdom-themed here. And then earth is gray because earth is not totally evil, right? And earth is not totally good. There are good parts about earth or bad parts about earth. When God first created it, it was very good and it would have been, we could have kept it completely white. But then sin came in and it sort of messing things up. So we have earth as a realm here or a dimension and we have heaven as a separate dimension. And that's the place where God's rule is totally felt, is totally expressed, and it's perfect. Now on the next slide... Uh, whenever you have a working temple, uh, a working temple, then what that looks like is it looks like those dimensions overlapping. And then so when people wanted to see God in the Old Testament, for example, they wanted to feel the presence of God, they had to travel to the temple. That is where they had to go to experience the power and the presence of God. Now, think about this. During Jesus' ministry, what was the temple? Jesus was the temple. So if we go to the next slide, you can see Jesus was this little part of the kingdom. Some people have referred to it as like a bubble. I think Sean Finnegan uses the term bubble. Wherever Jesus was, that's where God's presence was. And so if you wanted to see the power and presence of God in its fullest extent, when Jesus was on the earth, what did you have to do? You had to go see Jesus. And it's not, again, because he's the temple, it's not because he is God, it's because that power and that presence and that fullness is in him and, and works through him. Now, I want to ask you a question. Jesus is gone. He's not on the earth anymore. Now who's the temple? We are. We are. It's our responsibility to bring these little bubbles of the kingdom everywhere we go. Now, I want to talk about our second point. Again, we're going to get to kingdom power more next week. It's exciting stuff, I know. But we're going to talk about kingdom ethics now. Uh, I love this quote from scholar Richard Middleton. He says, quote, The Bible's vision of the future does not necessarily answer every question we might have, but it is sufficient to inspire us to live toward that future even now. That's from the Four Views on Heaven book, page 66. So, um, you know, there's lots of different views of the end times. We talked about that a little bit last week. I don't want to get into the weeds on all of that. The point that he's making is what we believe about the end, what God is going to eventually get to, helps us understand how we are to live now. And so where can we find the truth about how we are to live? We can find it through the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels. We can find it in the epistles. We can find it in a lot of different places. Um, but I think there's two primary places. I think that's the teachings of Jesus, primarily the Sermon on the Mount, and also the teachings of the apostles. Um, and so this morning, I want to briefly push back on something uh, that some people believe, because it's my belief that the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles are in agreement with one another. Um, 
Our Lord said in John 13, a servant is not greater than his master. And uh, Paul, for example, calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. And so if a servant is not greater than his master, then he's, is he going to contradict his master? No, he's not going to. So Paul and others may give us additional information. It may be different or new kinds of ways of understanding or exploring something, but it's not going to be contradictory. And I want to give an example. Um, let's turn to Matthew chapter 6. When we talk about kingdom ethics, most scholars will point you to the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and in this sermon, what Jesus does is he cuts past the issue of ritual observance of the law to matters of the heart. He gets to the heart. And God has always been interested in our wholehearted following of his commandments. And right after the Lord's Prayer, uh, this is what Jesus teaches about forgiveness in Matthew chapter 6. It says, For if you forgive others that trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will the, your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, Jesus uh, taught frequently hyperbolically. He exaggerated things a little bit. And so people have taught at times that what this means is if I forget to forgive one person, I'm not going to make it into the kingdom. Uh, that is not what Jesus is saying here. I want to be very clear about that. Uh, he's saying something else. Um, Mounts, who's a great biblical scholar in the understanding of the Bible commentary, said this. He said, It should not be taken as a quid pro quo arrangement in which God keeps tabs on our relations with others and withholds his forgiveness until we have merited it, but as a way of saying that forgiving others who have wronged us follows naturally from our having been forgiven by God. And so, in other words, uh, we should forgive others because we have been forgiven of so much and we see God's heart of forgiveness and we want to reflect that heart of our Father in how we deal with people around us. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. We'll see what uh, Paul had to say about forgiveness. And again, this is just one example of kingdom ethics. We're going to unpack a lot of different things during the series, um, but this is just one small piece of it. In Colossians 3, in verse 12, Paul has gone through a bunch of uh, do-nots. He's a bunch of like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And, and Jesus did the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, right? And here Paul is giving some positive things. He says, put on then, verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So are Paul and Jesus teaching different things about forgiveness? No, they're teaching the same thing about forgiveness. And again, if you look at this section versus the Sermon on the Mount, this is like a small uh, version of the Sermon on the Mount in some sense. He, like I said, he does a bunch of do-nots, just like Jesus does, and then he gets into a bunch of do's, like this is how you should live. And so what this tells us, I believe, is that the kingdom passages in the epistles, you know, we think about like 1 Thessalonians 4, we think about 1 Corinthians 15, uh, these big passages about what the future is going to look like when Jesus comes back and he sets everything right. But are those the only kingdom passages in the epistles? No. Everywhere where we look at how God instructs us how to live in this day and this time, I will argue and end up arguing that those are kingdom verses too. This is a kingdom passage. Colossians 3 is a kingdom passage. This is how we reflect uh, God's reign in our lives through our Lord Jesus in the world around us today. That is kingdom of God stuff right there. 
So uh, there are three styles of, or three aspects to kingdom ethics I want to talk about. And we, I think, are all here at different places at different times. So this is not like a, I'm at level three and you're just at level one. We should compare ourselves kind of a thing. I, th I have been at all three of these, uh, you know, at different times in my life. And even to this day, experience all three of these. The first one is obedience by authority. Okay. God said this is right and that is wrong and I will listen to God. That is obedience by authority. And obedience by authority sometimes saves us, right? <laughs> I mean, when we're not feeling great, when we're not doing great, this saves us. So uh, anchoring this in forgiveness, this would be, I forgive others because God told me I should forgive others. That is what I'm talking about. And that is still obedience. It's not quite, we haven't got quite the full heart in it, but we're human. Sometimes that doesn't always uh, fit there. The second one is obedience by appreciation. And I think that this is, I see what God wants is what's best for me. And I appreciate that. So I will do what God says because I believe that God wants what's best for me. So this would be, I forgive others because it's really what's best for me and for my health. And I think we're getting closer to the heart of things. We're getting closer to uh, the most mature aspect. The third aspect is obedience by loving dedication. I see how God wants me to live. I want to serve God where he is at work in my community. I want to participate in the attributes and the fullness of God in the ways that I can in this life. That is what this is. So this is, I forgive others because God can bring kingdom life to my community through forgiveness. And I want to participate in that, in bringing kingdom life to my community. And that is where you are fully on board with God. You want to join up with where God is at work. And that is why you do things. Your heart is fully engaged. And again, I'm not saying that I'm always at level three. I'm not. <laughs> I wish I was. <laughs> Sometimes it's level one. Uh, so again, we think about the do's and the do nots, the commandments uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Colossians 3 here, in other sections of Scripture. And we tend to think of it as a, you know, don't do this, do this. Like, let's obey because we have to obey kind of a thing. But N.T. Wright made an interesting point in his interview with the Bible Project on what does the word gospel mean. And what he says here is, they, he's talking about the people who live the Beatitudes, the people who live the principles that Jesus is talking about. They are the ones through whom the blessings of the kingdom will flow into the world. So this is a deeper kind of way of looking at do's and do nots. It's not just, I do this because I have to. I don't do this because God says it's bad. There's an element of truth to that for sure. But the deeper understanding of it is there are people who are meek. And through their meekness, God will bring blessings on this world. There are people who are just, and because they are just, God can bring blessings into this world. So it's a participatory thing. Uh, there's a way that we can participate with what God is at work doing. And to me, that's the deepest kind of ethics. God wants to bless the world through us. How amazing is that opportunity that we get to work with our Father and do that? Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to talk about kingdom citizenship here at the end. And kingdom citizenship, in some sense, uh, is foundational to all of this uh, because it is our mindset. It is the underlying mindset. And again, I think this language helps us see even more kingdom language in the New Testament. 
In the Old Testament, God called Israel to be a light to the nations in Isaiah and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in Exodus. And as we know, the ancient Hebrews did not live up to those things, ultimately. They ultimately did not uh, bring God's blessing to the world as he called them to do. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called his disciples to be a city on a hill and to be salt and light to the world, sort of bringing that imagery back into focus for his disciples. And here are what a couple of the passages talk about when we think about kingdom citizenship. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Again, we're going to go quickly through these. We're going to talk about kingdom citizenship also in a later sermon, so I'm not going to take too much time on it today. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, many of us are familiar with this verse. says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And finally, in Philippians chapter 3, uh, it explicitly says we have a kingdom citizenship or heavenly citizenship. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. And so our citizenship is in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Let's unpack that a little bit. What is in heaven right now? Jesus is in heaven, and also the city whose founder and maker is God that, he, that Abraham was looking for. That new Jerusalem, it says in Revelation chapter 21, comes out of heaven and it ends up on earth. So if you think about that, uh, you think about that, our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. It belongs to a different dimension. It belongs to a different kind of reality. It belongs quite literally to a different earth, a different world. Because it's the restored earth we're talking about, this future restored earth. That is where our citizenship is. So where is our heart supposed to belong? What laws do we follow first and foremost before even the laws of this land? And we are to follow the laws of this land. Let me be clear about that. Paul was clear about that. Peter was clear about that. But which laws do we, we count as more important? The laws of the kingdom. That's where our citizenship is. We view ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone from a foreign land who has decided that they are committed to uh, bringing the ethics and the culture and the things that are uh, interesting about their culture to the land around them. How does that describe us? It does. It absolutely does. So when we think about all these things, we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are the holy nation through whom God can now bless this world and anticipation of the world to come. So all that to say, there are ways we can experience God's kingdom today. And that's why I call it kingdom anticipated. It's not kingdom now in the fullest sense of it, but it is anticipated. We can see what God is going to do. We can see how God has called us to live. We can see the power that he's infused us with. We can see the way that God wants us to work and move in the world so that we can bring the blessings of God into the world around us. And so that is what our responsibility is to do. 
our responsibility is to take upon that calling to be kingdom people, even though the kingdom isn't here in its fullness right now, that we can take upon ourselves the ethics, that we have the ability to do that, uh, that we can see ourselves as ambassadors for Christ in the fullest sense of that, that we can be people who bring the kingdom to others in a localized sense, just like Jesus did. That's the fullness of our calling. That's the fullness of what we have uh, been called to do in this life, is to, to be part of God's plan of redeeming the world. And it's, again, in smaller ways here and now because the fullness isn't available. But just like that husband should learn to love his wife, <laughs> we have to uh, put those things on in our lives to the fullest extent that we can. And in the next six weeks, we're going to be exploring six kingdom aspects throughout all of Scripture and how we can embody ways that we can bless the world around us uh, through the power of the Spirit. So will you pray with me this morning? Father, we are just so thankful for how the kingdom is not just a future reality. In its fullness, God, we know that it is. We pray like your son did, that your kingdom will come, that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We still yearn for that day. We still wait for that day. We wait for our Savior to come from heaven and change our bodies like we saw today. We desperately want that, God. But we know in the meantime, while we are foreigners in this land, while we are exiles and sojourners, that you've called us to a worthy calling and a, a precious calling, that we can be the salt and light, that we can be the city on a hill, that we can be your royal priesthood, that we can be servant leaders, that we can serve others in love, and we can show them your goodness and your grace and your peace in this time. And that, that is what attracts people to you, Father. You're a God of love, you're a God of grace, you're a God of mercy, and boy are we thankful for that. So we just lift up this calling. We ask you to empower us, enable us, help us to be those kingdom people in this day and time. And just help us to see how we can bring your blessings to the world around us. We thank you for the example that you've given us in your son Jesus, and it's in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.